It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? Or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I did not think that I should be the leader of that. I thought that there were other voices that would be more important. Yeah, those systems of power are just so intractable and I think oftentimes dominated by kind of a good old boys club. We keep coming together, come up with ideas, create things that are uh, important to all the communities. See what I'm saying? The partnership, all this is a partnership. The people have no voice. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for sure yet, but I'm not going to quit. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> this is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Every time we say that we are happy to be here with you, and every time, it is true. 
we have the best gig on the internet. It's my personal opinion. And as things continue to shift and change and intensify across the country, no, feels even more true. It does. And we want to thank several of you who are helping us be here with you. We have a new executive producer, Lori Ladal. Lori, thank you so much for becoming part of our executive producer team. Also, we want to thank Josh and Lori Beth Sink, who made an exceptionally generous one-time gift to support Pantsuit Politics. And just reading their messages and getting to know them has been a gift to us. So we're so grateful to all of you who support the show in a variety of ways. And today's episode, I think, is really going to continue that Pantsuit Politics is a community, not just a podcast spirit. So we started thinking about all the protests across the country, not just in big cities where the streets swell with thousands of people, but in small towns where the streets fill with a couple hundred. And we wanted to talk about that experience and speak to some of the activists on the ground. And We don't want it to get lost that June is Pride Month, and there is a long history of organizing, protesting, and celebrating in the streets, creating greater visibility in the LGBTQ community. We got several, several months ago the most wonderful email from Taylor Stone Welch, one of our listeners. And Taylor has become the lead organizer for Pride in his hometown of Hamilton, Ohio. And I was planning to go and meet Taylor in person and volunteer at that event with him and just learn more about how he put this together. It's the first time Hamilton has celebrated Pride. But alas, COVID-19 created some shifts. So I wanted to share this conversation I had with Taylor about his journey with organizing Pride for the first time and then dealing with having Pride in the midst of COVID-19. Taylor, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. I have to tell everyone that you reached out with the most spectacularly formatted email I've ever seen in my life. And the email formatter in me recognized the email formatter in you. And I wanted to get to know you better and learn more about what it's like to organize a Pride event in Hamilton, Ohio, which is kind of a small-ish city for the first time. And I was interested enough in that conversation, but now I'm even more interested in how you are leading that event during a pandemic that really changes the entire complexion of what you're trying to do. So jump in and tell us first why you wanted to organize Pride in Hamilton and just what that experience was like as you were leading up to what you thought was going to be kind of a normal world version of that celebration. We wanted to do a Pride event in Hamilton because we felt like we're at a point in our city where a Pride event would be welcome and be a good thing. Our city's a little bit more conservative, and I think it's the time now that we can do something like a gay Pride event. So we pictured that as being a celebration, a big festival with a lot of people and food trucks and vendors. And that was the plan. But as everybody else has had to make some changes, when the shutdowns started happening, we knew very quickly that that meant that we would not be having a big public event. We were a few months out, but we knew just looking at the likelihood of them not permitting thousands of people to get together uh, in an outdoor space where you can't have hand washing and all the other things that you would need. So we then made the call that we were going to have to cancel our event, which was our first one. So that was a tough call. 
but we've now geared towards doing some online virtual things. So there's a lot of new things we're doing with that that are still very valuable. So you talked about feeling like this was the year when you could have this event. Could you say more about how supportive the community was as you got into this? Did this feel like you were pushing the community a little bit or does it feel like, no, we're, we're really here and we're ready to embrace this? I think that our community after marriage equality and other big moments in our country has really come around to the idea that it's okay to be gay We can have a pride event and we had a lot of support. Our city is supportive. The different organizations in the city were quick to sponsor the event. So we were able to fund it. So we had a lot of support in those ways. And then when we announced that we were going to do an event, we reached about 80,000 people on our first post. And it was crazy to us because Hamilton only has 60,000 people in it. So we know that it reached regionally. Uh, we were very encouraged by all of that. So we were really excited to to have the event. Well, talk to me about how you kind of reorient the goal that you had for creating a Pride event to an online space. Uh, so initially, we saw this as a detriment that we weren't going to have an in-person event. And then we started thinking we will have more impact to our city, just existing throughout Pride Month, educating people, having posts that can be shared. And it's kind of turning into kind of a stronger change for for what we want in in our community, even though we're not having this big in-person celebration. I think part of Pride is what you do every day in educating people and having people accept the gay and trans community. And ultimately it kind of feels like it's a a better outcome for right now, because now we have a year to plan the first in-person pride for Hamilton and it will be bigger and better. But we kind of got everybody used to the idea of it over the course of the year. So as you do things online, then uh, does that mean that you feel a little bit more action oriented than the community just hosting the party that you're you're really digging into daily life more is that is that what i'm hearing especially with what is going on in the last couple of weeks with uh, our black and brown friends and family who are pushing for for them to their voices to be heard and and pushing for change we have started to address that more directly because As pride, we have black and brown people who are part of our community and vice versa. And so we've been doing some things like we had a a March protest last week that a church organized and we decided that we wanted to show up in solidarity. So we pushed that on our Facebook page and um, a few of us went to that. And then we are planning to do a, a, a March next weekend on the day that we would have had our event, but now it's a, a march for pride and for our black and brown community. And there's quite a few things that we did as a board that felt like the right thing to do, especially in this moment. 
And we didn't realize at the time how important it would be. One thing uh, for our logo, we chose to use the progress flag, which is the flag that has the black and brown stripes and the trans colors in it. And we're, we've been able to use that as an educational moment to explain to people why there are different pride flags, why that is important. So becoming a lot more direct with, with our community instead of just having a big party. I'm sure that the pandemic has uh, changed how, you're, how you think of your own leadership in all of this, kind of putting that on the shelf as much as you can for a second. I wonder what you've learned through this process that you would share with people who are thinking of getting something similar started in their own communities. When we first had our group come together and talk about doing a Pride event, I did not think that I should be the leader of that. I thought that there were other voices that would be more important or more that should just be in the forefront of the conversation. But things just kept happening where it became obvious that somebody was going to have to step up and lead and kind of organize. And I didn't really have a lot of confidence in myself doing that. Uh, I've, I've kind of shied away from my identity as a gay man, but through this process, I've become much more comfortable and it's been kind of empowering to, to lead this group that is actually vocally saying that we should change in this community and support people, all different people. I think that's really beautiful, Taylor. At the end of this month, what is your short-term hope for Hamilton, Ohio? That's challenging to think of what the short-term goals are. I know in my personal life, my goals are to have more conversations about the gay community and what it's like to be a gay person living in a small city where you don't always feel like you're welcome. I've already started to have some of those conversations within my family and with some friends. So my hope is that by starting this, this group and having some direct action, uh, communicating with our city that will inspire people to have these conversations and grow. You shouldn't feel like you have to leave a small town because you're gay. So I'm younger. I'm 28. When I was a teenager here in Hamilton, I just didn't think I could live here. I had always felt uncomfortable and felt like people were not going to accept me. And when I went off to school, I just didn't think I'd come back. I thought I'd move to a big city and just live my life and visit every now and then. And it's been really nice to come back to my hometown, meet a bunch of people who are like-minded and really feel like I can be here for the long, long haul. And that's part of why I thought pride would be important is that there are young people that live in Hamilton right now who probably are still thinking that same thing that like, I can't stay here. I can't be a part of the city because I'm different. And that's not true. So I hope that we are creating conversations that will make more people feel comfortable being themselves, even in a small town. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me and for doing this work in a small town where it matters so much. And I'm really disappointed that I'm not getting to meet you in person, but I hope you will let me come be at the Mom Hugs station next year uh, when Pride happens outside of virtual space. 
I would love that. It would be great to meet you in person. And I hope that come 2021, things are looking great and we get to have the biggest event that this town's ever seen. So I have my fingers crossed for that. I do too. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Beth. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick-dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick-dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy.
So after I talked to Taylor, I was very excited to jump into what is happening in small towns across the United States around inequality and systemic racism. And fortunately, one of our favorite writers in the whole of the world, Anne Helen Peterson, had just done a long-form piece about protests all over the country. And if you go to her Twitter feed, you can see pictures of what's happened in just the tiniest cities in this nation. So we spent a few minutes on the phone with Anne Helen talking about what she's learned as she's spoken with people who organize these events and what this might indicate about where we are in the conversation about injustice in America. I am so happy to be here talking about it with you guys. So what sort of got you interested in these particular types of protests. I mean, you put out that call on Twitter and immediately got like three million responses, which we put out a call a few days later. And I was noticing like, man, I don't recognize any of these places that people were responding. So I'm so glad that you put out the call and got a similar response. You know, I did something very similar, both around the Women's March and around March for Our Lives. And I think my impulse was that If you're from a small town or grew up in a small town, you know just what it takes to actually organize and show up for a protest like this. You know that people are going to talk about you for weeks, if not years. It just, it takes a lot of bravery. I want to be very clear that like it shouldn't take that much for, especially for a white person to stand up for something like this, like it shouldn't take this amount of bravery. But the, you know, the social reality is that especially in places without a protest tradition, this is really weird. It is a weird Mm -hmm. thing to do. And you have to kind of change the understanding of what it means to show up in public and to advocate for something that you care about. And so to me, I think it's always important to highlight these protests that are happening in small towns, because in some ways, 100 people showing up in a town of 25,000, that's just as powerful as 10,000 people showing up in a town of a million. I loved your Twitter coverage of this and just want to say you were committed. Like I I watched you spending day after day after day (laughs) going through all of this. And what I what really struck me when you first started sharing these stories That shield of anonymity that you might have in a major metropolitan area is gone. And I wonder from your previous coverage of protests in small towns around other movements, what kind of after protest opportunity and risk that creates? Can you say more about what you see afterward when people who basically know each other are showing up for these protests? I mean, you know, there's a lot of crap talking on Facebook. I think people, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're not called out by name, you see the comments, you know, you like a, after someone's posted something on Facebook, whether it's your local newspaper or just someone posting a picture. So you know how people are talking about you. I, you know, the, the remarkable thing is that I think the people who are showing up, they're young enough that they don't care. They're old enough that they don't care or they're whatever age. And they've just decided like, you know, standing up for black lives and making this stand, even in a small town is worth whatever people are going to think about me. Like who cares if they think that I care about black people? I do care about black people. Do you know what I mean? So I think that people are also surprised that there's a lot of support. So It can be really heartening, even if only 25 people show up in your small town, to know, like, 
there are 25 people who feel strongly enough about this to show up with me or even just, you know, hearing honks on a small town. It's the same thing. Well, and I think it's this weird paradox that some of the pushback in a small town and sort of stepping out of that anonymity is, well, this is not how you have to solve things in a small town, right? You don't have to take to the streets. Everything's more accessible. And I think the paradox is, yeah, that's true to certain people. That process and that sort of network of change is more accessible in a small town if you are the right person. And it's almost harder to break through. I heard this a lot when I was a city commissioner in Paducah, and I see this in my own experiences. Like, in some ways, yeah, you can just walk into the county attorney's office or you can just walk into the mayor's office. But in some ways, behind the scenes decision making is even more inaccessible in a small town. And I think that's what I heard through the protests. I think that's what you see a lot in this small town is people are just fed up. Like it's a it's an issue that shouldn't be hard to step out on in theory. Like you said, like, yeah, of course I support the African-American community. But it's also this frustration with the way power dynamics work in the United States and in small towns. And, you know, I, I think about your other work on burnout and millennials, because that's definitely the age demographic I saw in Paducah stepping out. It was a particularly young crowd. And this feeling beginning to come out of the winter and the global pandemic and COVID-19 and the shutdown and economic hardship, this feeling of intense frustration, just intense. We shouldn't have to be out here talking about police brutality. We shouldn't still be dealing with racism. We shouldn't still be dealing with the racial wealth gap. We like all these things among particularly young people, the sense of like the way you told us to get things done in a small town or anywhere else isn't working. And we're really frustrated that nothing's changing. Yeah, those systems of power are just so intractable. And I think oftentimes dominated by kind of a good old boys or mm-hmm. sometimes a woman gets in there, but usually good old boys club that, you know, unless you understand the apparatus of campaigning in a small town and have even just like a thousand dollars in order to like back that campaign, you also have to break through just the general understanding that like oh, well, we need someone that's experienced to be in a position Mm -hmm. here. And the fact that most of the people who vote in local elections are older people. So there's less of an impetus to like, you know, like millennials are too busy for whatever reason to get out there and vote for a candidate that actually reflects a lot of their positions. So you get a lot of this old school ideology that just like repeats itself. You know, I have seen some protesters in some places, like the the city council has invited them to talk about how to have constructive dialogues with the city council. This is in like one small town protest where they invited, it was a student-led protest, and they invited the students to, to actually talk about how they can address their concerns and seek redress. Um, but I think in a lot of places, you see the cops, you know, another um, podcast producer was talking to me about this and they called it copaganda. 
you see a lot of propaganda of like cops kneeling with the protesters or mm-hmm. sheriff speaking at the protests. So there's this idea that like, oh, we all are on the same page. Like we're just trying to be supportive and nothing needs to change. But then you also see places that are really demanding, like we want recognition in our local government of how we can try to avoid these policies. Because even if you have a small population of people of color, you still have profiling going on. You still have profiling going on when people from outside of your city or county come into that area. It can still be a harsh and unwelcoming environment, even if you, like as a white person, don't necessarily experience that on a day-to-day basis. So Sarah has an activist heart. Like anytime we talk about protests, you can tell Sarah gets it. She's in. She's excited about it. It it takes me a minute. Um, (laughs) I struggle with like clarity of purpose. You know, what are we doing here? What are we trying to accomplish? And I wonder, as you look at these small town protests, if you see what like what what are the things people are asking for? Are these more expressions of solidarity and that expression of generalized frustration? Do you see specific demands like we saw in Minneapolis in these small towns? Um, Some of them. Right. And I think that you have to have a real an organized apparatus to also come, uh, you know, come up with this specific list of demands. Right. Like you have to have a group that is willing to demand to, to articulate this, to agree on this, to ratify it. And in those cases as well, it feels very important to have those demands be led by a person of color. So for all of the reasons that organizing in small towns is difficult in the first place, it's also difficult to agree on a, a list of demands in that way. So I think some places, yes, you're seeing that. And I know that like in Bozeman, Montana, which is close to me here, they have a list of things that they really want the police department and the local government to focus on. And, you know, they had over 5,000 people show up uh, on Sunday and that's wow. 10% of their town. But some places, you know, this is so organic in terms of like people are just showing up on street corners. Right. And I think that for at that level, it's much more like see me acknowledge this, acknowledge Mm -hmm. that this is a demand that is felt in your town as well. Well, it's interesting. You know, I can only speak to Paducah, but it seems like it started like that. And then the organization is starting to build. Now there's a Facebook group. They had another vigil for Breonna Taylor. Now that they pushed and organized for a directory of black owned businesses that they published in the paper. And like you're seeing it grow and shift. I think the other pattern that's interesting, and I want to know if you saw this when you were gathering up these stories and in your coverage, you know, Our police department, even though it was a very big crowd and a very big crowd for Paducah, would have looked incredibly foolish rolling out in riot gear. So they weren't in riot gear. They were very um, de-escalating. You know, I I witnessed some young people come up and, like, take pictures in front of the police officer and the police car flipping it off. And um, the police officer just stood there, was, like, very hands-off about it. And then the crowd seemed to, the first night in particular, like, there was just pent up energy, especially among younger younger members of the crowd that just didn't have anywhere to go at the end of the official kind of protest. And so they drove around town. There were windows broken at our mall. That seemed to be the the height of it. And then it dissipated. And I wonder if you saw and saw that in any other towns where there like there wasn't necessary or maybe there was looting, which I think would be interesting to examine in a very different geographical location or how the police responded 
with regards to like riot gear or de-escalation or if you noticed any any patterns that are very different from the ways that this went down in bigger cities with bigger protests? You know, most of the imagery and accounts that I've heard, like the word shared over and over again, which to me is, I think, in some ways problematic is they're like, we had a peaceful protest here. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Um, And I think that that desire, you see it in headlines, too, like as as protests rage in larger cities, peaceful protest in wherever. And I think that that desire to kind of other the protests in the small town from the protests that are going on in cities is, I think what it's trying to do is it's trying to de-escalate like the, the very protest element of it. And mm-hmm. I think too, you, some, some of the people who are organizing these events are doing it purposefully by not calling it a protest, right? Some places they call it a visual or a remembrance, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I think that there is a fear of feeling or coming across as too angry or too, you know, protesting too much (laughs) Um, or even suggesting that like, oh, if we're protesting, then we're protesting how things are happening in our town. And I think, you know, a lot of places there, like the police department, just because it's a small town doesn't mean that the police department is necessarily perfect. And, uh, you know, you see this a lot in the small towns that are on the edge of reservations where there is an incredible amount of racial profiling that goes on and disparity in the treatment of people who are pulled over by the police. And I think that on the whole, I have not seen any real violence at any of these smaller protests. I could be missing some, but, you know, I have now seen imagery from many. I do think that in some of the mid-sized cities that there has been some, maybe an an abundance of caution. So whether that's in riot gear or, you know, imposing curfews as they did in Salt Lake City. Uh, And also a a real difference in how the cops are treating the protesters and how, you know, their actions and how the police are treating the uh, men and women who show up armed in order to protect mm-hmm. against protesters, right? Because these people who are showing up armed are white and are thus not deemed a threat. So as we were having this conversation about small town protests, obviously, many of you saw from the Instagram feed and from some of my Insta stories that I was participating in what turned out to be the first of several marches in Paducah, Kentucky, where I live. I don't know if y'all know that I live in Paducah. I don't ever talk about it. Um, <laughs> but Best I do. Best kept secret. <laughs> and, Best kept secret. I'm from Paducah. And so obviously, I, you know, I felt like it was a really good opportunity to reach out to some of the organizers and speak to some of the participants in the march. First, I talked to a community member who has been so amazing and supportive when I was a city commissioner and who I've remained friends with, Adiyama White. And he had some really great insight about when people participate in marches in small towns, even when there are big federal issues at play that sometimes it is really about needs in that actual community. Now, we've had one march and one visual for Brianna Taylor over the past few weeks in Paducah. 
And before we started recording, you and I were talking about that this is like, especially the first March was the biggest crowd like I've ever seen at an event like this in Paducah. How does that feel to you as a long-term member of the community? I think it's a great opportunity for people to get to know each other. And I am, I'm, I'm truly so impressed and so much praise to our, like I said at that vigil the other day, to our white brothers and sisters that participate. The last vigil, there was more white people at that vigil than black. Mm. And some of us spoke about that. And in all honesty, we were like, it doesn't make sense. They're out here to help us and we can't get as many to show up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just to have so many people from different races, just the diversity that was there was magnificent. I think it really, to me, it feels different. To me, it feels like, I keep saying 2020 is shaking stuff loose. Like, it feels like because of the pandemic and because of the economic downturn, I just think there's a mm-hmm. sense of like frustration and a sense of, yeah, this was like the sort of the accelerant that people needed. And I, I mean, honestly, I just also think the truth is the brutality of George Floyd's murder and the just the insanity captured on videotape for all the world to see shifted things really dramatically. Yeah, I, I agree, because, I mean, we've had many mm-hmm. and they haven't taken the toll and brought people together like this one right here did. And it's a shame that it takes someone's death to cause people to come together. So, but like you said, it's the way it happened, how long it had it taken for the, the, the first the officer who did it to be arrested. I think that brought a lot of people together. Yeah. As you see on the news, if you pay attention to the news, of course, you, it's all over the country. And then it moved on to the world. I mean, some of my friends are telling me that even Iran is start marching against wow. it. And that's called a shocker right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and what do you think about, like, because really what we're talking about in the show is the protest in small towns. You know, I asked Jessica Moore, the young woman who organized the protest in Anna, I'm like, well, you know, it's harder in a small town. Why wouldn't you just drive up to a, a larger town? Because you and I know, like, in some ways, it's easier to get things done in a small town, right? Because you can just walk into the mayor's office or you know the person who runs X and such organization. But in another way, it's harder because the network and the decision makers are much more tight knit in a small town. And if you put yourself Uh out there and you say, I see a problem because it's not an anonymous way process in the way it is. If you're marching with thousands of people on the streets of New York city, Uh you know, you can be bringing some flack back on yourself. Like, what do you think about the fact that there are so many of these protests in small towns where it can be harder to make an impact and you can have bad, you know, you can sort of get a different type of blowback in a place like this. Yeah. The, the small town, atmosphere I, I believe is better and like you said you do catch blowback from it but i mean that's why you put yourself out there if you believe in something it may come a blowback but you know you're doing something that's right then that's just part of it you got to keep fighting well and there also is a component of like you do get more support you know there's a way like the mm-hmm. support is less the the criticism is more or not like you're more anonymous, but that also means that the support is more anonymous too. You know, like it's not right. like you're walking right. the streets and you turn and say, Oh my God, I know this person. I went to high school with this person. Uh-huh. I know this person. Like, I think that's, that's the positive aspect of this. Did you feel that when you were marching? Yeah. Did you see people? I saw one of my classmates out there. We actually took a picture together. No, actually I take it, take it back. I saw three of my classmates out there and one I haven't seen her in quite a while, but yeah, me and her had taken a picture together. Did you see people you didn't expect to see out there? 
Uh, let me see. Well, I saw, I didn't see some people I didn't expect out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did I see people that I didn't expect? No, I didn't. I didn't. Well, that's good. And how did you feel about the police presence? Presence was good. I actually spoke to some of them uh, off to the side and I thanked them because the first protest, uh, the first march, when we walked down the uh, streets of the Park Avenue that led into uh, MLK, uh, they didn't have to, uh, Chief Lair didn't have to allow that, but mm-hmm. he stepped up and he allowed the uh, protesters to walk the street and he had moved, diverted traffic different ways just so it could be done. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people have thanked the police. Everyone that has spoken has thanked the police department for doing that, stepping mm-hmm. up and making that happen for the marchers to make their way around and keep it going. And what do you hope happens next? We keep coming together come up with ideas, create things that are uh, important to all the communities. I mean, you look at our black community and I'll tell you one of the reasons that I've, and I've told this to the mayor and several other people, one of the reasons that our, our kids leave the city when they go off to college and don't come back. And I was one of those who had that thought is because there's no jobs here for us mm-hmm. and there's nothing to do. Even when you're trying to get people from that aren't from Paducah to come here after they get out of college, they see that they're, especially if they come from a big city, there's nothing here unless you're waiting on 8th of August for yeah. them. So they like, nah, that's not going to work for me. And one of the things we need most is black teachers in uh, Paducah. Mm-hmm. I love that this is a national conversation, but hopefully the benefit of so many protests in smaller communities is that the action that has taken won't just be at those national policy levels, but that will be at the the community level to have impact on everyday lives. I love that so much. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. And then next, I spoke with Martage Marks and LeVar Dillard. I went to a protest outside our county courthouse. And the protest was about a quote-unquote unity meeting. And as you'll hear in some of this audio, LeVar in particular was very upset about being disinvited from this meeting because of a past criminal history. He turned himself in when this came to light and took responsibility and still was sort of disinvited from the meeting. You know, I think what's important about this conversation that you're going to hear between Martage and LeVar and myself is this is what happens, right? Like you have the first march, you get out there. It feels really good to feel like your voice is being heard and some of your demands are being met. But then you're still in the same system and you still have to deal with bureaucracy and politics and prejudices within those systems. And it's really hard. It's really hard, I think, to start solidifying your strategy to making sure you have consensus among the participants to make sure that people continue to feel heard. And I think that's what you feel is that that tension. And we want to keep moving forward. And we're trying to figure out the best way to do that. Martage, M-A-R-T-A-J, Marks, M-A-R-K-S. I'm 20 years old, born and raised in Paducah. Yeah. And you, how did this protesting start for you? Uh... There was a protest that was supposed to happen by, uh, well, I don't want to call it a protest. She called it a march. March. Yeah. Um, and then she dropped dropped out, right? Yeah. Because they, people said she was feeling too much heat from it. It was becoming too big. Okay. I don't know what she thought by yeah, posting yeah, it on yeah. Facebook, but, you know, it became very large. Yeah. Um, and then she canceled it. 
Yeah. And so then me and Dewan, you know, we was like, you know, let's do this. So we brought it back up mm -hmm. and we was like, okay, we're still going to do this. And so um, it happened. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Like you said, the confusion was crazy. Yeah. Right? It was canceled. Then it was back on. Then it was, you know, places but supposed to be somewhere else. the turnout for in the face of that was just... It was amazing. Amazing. Um, and then I wanted to do some Breonna Taylor for her birthday. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, we didn't want to just stop at that one protest. We wanted to keep going. Because the people of Paducah was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I said, we haven't seen anything like this. Right, People right, said right. since the 70s. So this was amazing. And then uh, we did the Breonna Taylor march. That was beautiful. Um... That was more people than I expected to come, and then now we're here, right? Yeah. And we're here because there's a meeting, well, local politicians. But it, it, it was to include, uh, it was to include LeVar, right? And, um, and, and again, real to, quick, no shot, not personal, okay? For nobody. Right. When, if, if you allowed in there, LeVar, okay, see, <laughs> see what I'm saying? That's crazy. I'm just here. And I even asked you to articulate some of these words. I reached out to you, didn't I? You did. You didn't come to me. No. I needed a voice to understand their language. How were y'all talking about the people? Right. Judge Clymer just asked me out here, what do you want? I said, the people of Paducah want to sit down. I would like to, as the voice of the people, yeah. I want to sit down with this, that, and third. He just told me, you're not the voice of Paducah. But when we shook hands to have this very first, the very first meeting, we stood under the shade tree right here. Uh -huh. Right here in this very spot. I'll get you that meeting, LeVar. He was coming off lunch. I got to get back in. I'll get you the meeting. Okay. My name was on it. The bump came, I went over a bump in the road, and now it's just Black Ball LeVar and the people. It's not LeVar. Don't bring LeVar in there. I'm going in the communities. I'm in Amwood. I'm in Dudley Court. I'm in Edison Court 2, 3 in the morning while they watching flicking the remote. They play just the jury in this building, and it's certified over at City Hall. Right. You see what I'm saying? They're partnership. All this is a partnership. The people have no voice. The day has changed. And there you have it. And then lastly, I spoke with Jessica Moore, who is just a, a blessing. Um, she organized a protest in Anna, Illinois, which is known in the surrounding areas as a quote-unquote sundown town. And for those of you who are not familiar with that term, it means if you are black, you don't want to be found in those towns after sundown. Anna also has an incredibly racist acronym for its name. So... She decided to organize this protest. She then moved to protest in several surrounding Southern Illinois town. And listening to her talk about why she chose to do it in her local community and the responses she's seen, both positive and negative, as she moves forward with this activism, this newfound activism, I found so vulnerable and inspiring I can't wait for you guys to listen. My name is Jessica Moore. I am from Owen, Illinois. I'm 25 years old. This started because, like, when I've seen all these videos, like, I've just been, you know, trying to educate myself more within the last year. And I've just been sitting and, like, seeing police brutality, racism, all this and that. And, um, my son, he's considered black, even though I'm mixed with black and white. His dad's mixed with black and white, but he is considered black. This all came from inspiration of him having a better life as well as many others. Our kids do not deserve to grow up in the world that we are growing up in. And it's just, whew, 
Couldn't agree more. I have three little boys myself, and I think there's so many mothers out there on the streets making the choice to raise their voices. You know, it's a really different choice if you are in a crowd of thousands and thousands of people on the streets of New York City versus if you are protesting on the streets of a small town. Like, why did you decide, instead of maybe driving the nearest biggest city and joining a protest there, why did you decide, no, I'm going to really put my face out there, my name out there, and do a protest near my hometown? Honestly, I didn't think this would go as far as it did. (laughs) I really didn't. But um, Anna, I've grown up in Owen, which is 20 minutes away from Anna. My mom worked in Anna her whole life. I've experienced racism my whole life still to this day. And I was like, you know what? I am inspired by seeing all these people standing together to fight for what's right. Why not Anna? As Anna is known as the sun downtown. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, bringing out the racist and showing them that it's not okay to be racist anymore. It's not okay to kill innocent black people. It's not okay. Like we are here together now. This, why don't you come walk with us? Why don't you join us? It seems so much happier on this side, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's my whole thing with Anna is like, I've, it's been pretty racist town towards me growing up my whole life. Anna stands for ain't no allowed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I personally, just wanted to make it known that Anna is not all racist. Mm-hmm. Sad that the racists that are still there still give Anna that name. Right. And the people that are there who aren't racist have to, or just are assumed that they're racist because they live in Anna. And what's been your experience with the townspeople? Do you feel like they everybody's been mostly accepting? I expected it to be worse than Anna, but I did not expect to see people that me and my child lived with and you know we helped take care of this person's mother I mean we were all living there and I seen her out there you know just talking bad on me and you know all this and that when I was like wow wow yeah I'm bringing up through colors of the people that I loved <laughs> mm-hmm. what's your next step what are you planning to do next what I'm planning to do next is I am Wanting to work my way up to, you know, maybe be an activist or something. Like, learn more, get educated more. Um, I will forever be a part of the BLM movement till I die. But Mm. I would like to speak out on other things as well. Like, people that need extra help, like with special needs, that have disabilities. um, Ones that can't talk for themselves at all. and get, you know, mistreated and not heard because they can't talk. I want to do a lot of things. Like, I want to speak out on a lot of things. So have you ever done anything political like this before? Never. (laughs) Never. What's been the impact of doing this? Like, how has it changed how you view yourself and how you view our political system? That I'm actually more into politics and all that than I thought. That I am stronger than I thought. and. Maybe me using my voice and not staying quiet about all the issues that I see wrong in the world 
make me a better person and a stronger person. It makes me feel good. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for sure yet, but I'm not going to quit. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> We hope that you all are feeling in your own work as inspired as Jessica is feeling in hers. We are super grateful to Taylor and Anne Helen, Andiamo and Martage and Lavar and Jessica for sharing their time and stories with us today. We're interested in hearing more of yours. I think we cannot end this episode without spending a minute talking about how all of this activism is relevant to myriad issues And usually when we talk about activism and action items arising from it, we think about voting as just baseline. And what we've seen this week in our country is that voting is not being treated by our own government as baseline. And so if you are called to do something about what unfolded in Georgia and the national disgrace that unfolded in Georgia this week... Write to your secretary of state, write to your representatives, tell them that today you need in your state assurance that your elections are going to run smoothly, that every vote will be counted, and that access to the ballot box will be equal across communities of color and wealthy communities and poor communities and the entirety of your states, because we cannot build on a foundation that is as shaky as the foundation that we saw this week in Georgia. And I have a personal ask after talking to Taj and especially Jessica. I asked her if we had listeners in our audience that have a long history of activism and have resources they could offer. In particular, I know we have listeners that work with disability rights. Please let me know. I would love to send those to her and just the thought that people would hear her words and help shepherd her through this new part of her existence was really exciting to her. So just, you know, let us know. Shoot us an email at hello at paintsuitpoliticsshow.com. And please do check our show notes for lots of things, including links to see what Taylor is working on in Hamilton, Ohio. You can be part of Hamilton, Ohio's pride this year because it's all going to be online. And we would love Love for you to check that out and continue to support each other within this community. Thank you so much for sharing your hearts and your time and your work with us. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Productions. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Allison Luzader, Allie Edwards, Amy Whited, Barry Kaufman, David McWilliams, Emily Neasley, Janice Elliott, Jared Minson, Joshua Allen, Lori Ladau, Martha Branitsky, Sarah Ralph, Tiffany Hasler, Tim Miller, and Tracy Putoff.